Joshua chapter 5. All right, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you realized that you were unequal to a task? When <laughs> all the men just went, we just did it. When was the last time you realized that you could not determine the outcome of something? You, would, you could try all you want, no matter how much you put into it, no matter how much you would work, you just didn't know how it would turn out. There's a lot of things like that in our lives, and sometimes we don't like to think about them, but how does that make you feel? When you can't control a situation, when you can't determine the outcome, when you, you just seem like you're helpless. That's the way I feel. I feel helpless. I feel frustrated. I get frustrated by that. I want to control the situation. And I'm a man. I want to fix things. I want to make sure that everything is working according to my plan. I often feel like my hands are tied behind my back. Like I can't do what I want to do, and I know I can see what needs to be done, but I just can't make it happen. Maybe if you can't remember a time, some of you are sitting there thinking, ah, I can't really remember a time where that's happened. Well, can I challenge you with something? Um, perhaps you aren't trying big enough things. Perhaps you're not doing big enough things that you just don't know what's going to happen. Listen, it takes a great deal to rely on someone else for the outcome takes a great deal to rely on someone else for the outcome. Let me give you an example, a very personal example to me. Every Sunday morning, I come here, and I preach, and I give it my all, and I've spent time in the Word of God, and I want to portray what I have learned throughout the week. And I give that to you, and you know what I want to do? I want to control the outcome. I want every person to walk away every Sunday morning. A couple weeks ago, we preached a message called Obstacle Illusions. I want every person to just forget about those obstacles and just go through them. Now, here's the deal. I can't do that. I can't force anybody to do what I want them to do. I can't make anybody do them. So you know what? I have to rely upon you for change to happen. Do you know how frustrating that is? You probably don't. It's very frustrating. Think about your children. You see your children going down a certain direction, and you, you see them going a way that maybe you wouldn't go, and maybe they're older or adult children, and you see things, and you want to just go in and fix it and take care of it and, and maybe blow the thing up and say, this is what needs to happen. But you can't. You have to rely on someone else for the outcome. It's frustrating. Trust requires dependence upon another. Trust requires dependence on another. You with me? That is a true statement, okay? Trust requires dependence on another. Listen, we have to trust each other. I have to trust you. I have to trust every one of you. That you, this week, are going to do what God has called you to do. I am trusting that. Have you ever thought of this? God has entrusted mankind. Think about that. We often preach that you need to trust God. You need to trust God. And listen, I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't. But what you need to know is that God has trusted you. What has God entrusted us with? Well, number one, the gospel. 
God has entrusted us with the gospel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. God has given us the gospel in earthen vessels. We have a responsibility. He has trusted us. Listen, God could have given the gospel any way he wanted. But he chose us. Clay, dirt, vessels. To give that out. God has trusted us. God trusted Adam with the garden. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. The Bible says this. And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Watch this. To dress it and keep it. He entrusted the garden of Eden to Adam. God entrusted us with his children. I hope every parent here today listens to this. God has entrusted us with his children. They're his. They're not ours. They're his. Lo, Psalm chapter 127 and verse 3, the Bible said, Lo, lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. They're, They're a possession of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Listen, they're not our children. They're God's children, but he has entrusted us with them. That's mind-blowing. That scares the fire out of me. That I am to raise God's children for him. God has entrusted us, listen to this one, with his grace. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has entrusted us, and we need to be good stewards of the grace of God. Listen, God trusts you with things. God is depending upon you for things. Now let me ask you this question. Does he need you? No, no, he doesn't. Let's be honest. He does not need you. But he has chosen you. He has uh, uh, picked you. He has chosen you to entrust you with these things. And he has chosen you to, and he has depended upon you to use them wisely. That's an incredible responsibility. But have you ever noticed this? Trust is always a two-way street. Trust is always a two-way street. If an employer trusts his employee to make good, right decisions in their area of responsibility, that will inevitably... Bring about that employee and trusting that employer with things and just saying, I trust you to speak into my life or I I thank you so much for the trust that you've given me. Listen, God has entrusted us with some things. He has trusted us. And so the natural thing that should happen is we should revert that and trust God with some things. Some things in our lives that we need to trust. Trust is a two-way street. When God trusts us with something, we should trust God to help us accomplish his goal. Let me give you a biblical example. God entrusted Joseph and Mary with the birth of his son and the rearing of Jesus. 
and you know what? If you look through this whole thing, there are times where they seek God. They, they try, they, at the very beginning, God comes to them and they try to understand what it is. Listen, when God gives us something to do, when he gives us a, 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 and trusts us with something, we should then entrust him to help us accomplish that. We should be looking to him. God has entrusted us with the gospel. We should trust him for boldness. God has entrusted us with his children. We should trust him for wisdom. God has entrusted us with his grace. We should be begging him for a continual supply of that grace. You you see what I'm saying? So this is the title of the message this morning. Trusting forward. Trusting forward. If we're going to keep moving forward, we must continue to trust. And if we're going to continue to trust, God will continue to give us trust. And God will continue to allow us to move further and further and further. You, 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 we have a responsibility. So here, the children of Israel have been entrusted, listen to this, to be God's people. That's a huge responsibility. The children of Israel are God's people. They have been entrusted by God to fulfill his promise that he's given to Jacob. When Jacob was concerned about going into the land of Egypt. Jacob prays and God comes to him and says, don't worry. Someday you you go right ahead and go into Egypt. Someday I will bring you out of Egypt and into a land. I'll bring you back. Listen, God had made a promise to Jacob and these people that we're going to read about in Joshua chapter 5. These people are the ones that have been entrusted with carrying out that promise. The previous generation failed. The previous generation didn't do what God had entrusted them to do. But now they have to trust God to get them there. They have to trust God to get over the Jordan. They have to trust God to conquer. Look at Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10. The Bible says this. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow, after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. Watch this in verse 12. And the manna ceased on the morrow, after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot. For the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Father, thank you for those that have come even through the weather. I pray that you would give them a special blessing today. Father, would this message, would this portion of Scripture speak to them as only you can. Father, I pray you'd get me out of the way. Father, that your will would be done here today. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. Help us to trust you with everything that we have. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These portions of Scripture, these two stories, 
seem unrelated. They don't make any sense. They, they don't really fit necessarily into the grand scheme of things. They just kind of seem kind of like side notes. Something that you would write in the side of your Bible rather than in the middle of the story. But these two stories, whether you believe it or not, are absolutely intertwined in a very unique way. I want you to look, first of all, this morning at shifting trust. Shifting trust. Look again with me, verses 10 to 12. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. Now understand this. That's an important step in their lives. We don't see them keeping the Passover very much in the 40 years. This is an important step at getting back into the will of God. Watch this, though. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow, after the Passover. Unleavened cakes, parched corn in the self-same day. Verse 12, and the manna ceased on the morrow, after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Have you ever realized that your trust shifts over time? You ever realize that? When you were a baby, your trust implicitly lied in your parents. You, you could not do anything yourself. You had to implicitly trust your parents. There was nothing you could do in and of yourself. As you grow, you begin to not only trust your parents, but hopefully you begin to trust your school teachers, your Sunday school teachers, and so on. And as you begin to grow older than that, you begin to trust other people and your trust shifted over time. Not that your trust stopped in your parents. Your trust just has shifted. It has made changes. It has done things. However, our, spiritually, our trust should never shift in the who, but it does shift in the how. It should never shift in the who, but it does shift in the how. Let me explain. The children of Israel had to shift their trust from God, providing them manna every day. Do you realize that God provided them manna every day? Miraculously, from the dew of the ground, manna was there every morning except for the Sabbath. The night before, they would collect twice as much. Well, excuse me, the morning before, they would collect twice as much. So the children of Israel had to shift their trust from that. They had to shift from that to allowing the land to grow the fruit. Do you realize that God was still in control of both? You understand that, correct? You understand that God can make food grow from the dew of the ground or he can make it grow from the soil. He can do both. He's in control of both. Listen to this. Write this down. They didn't have to trust God to survive, but they had to trust God to thrive. So no longer do they have to trust God for survival, they had to trust God now to thrive in what he had called them to do. This is so important. Sometimes it's easier to trust God to survive, isn't it? Listen, if every single one of us was living in war-ravaged place and every day we feared for our lives, how many of you would easily trust God? You should all be raising your hand because that's, listen... We don't know what's going to happen. Things are going to blow up. We just, it's scary. We just don't know. And so we're on our knees more and more. Listen, when times are in, in desperate need, we trust God more. We just do. 
The children of Israel needed that manna. They were in the wilderness. There was no food. There was no water lots of times. They needed God. They needed him something fierce. They needed him every single day. It's as if everything you have literally depends on God. But when God brings you into land that flows with milk and honey, you no longer need him for your daily survival. There's not one of us here today that if we're honest, we completely and utterly depend on God for our daily survival every day. Be honest with yourselves. You can be, you can be hyper-spiritual and go, oh, yes, I do, Pastor Yeomans. Oh, yes, I do. I, I, I realize everything comes from God. Yes, you may realize that, but do you practice that? Do you practice that in every way? Your life does not completely and utterly depend on God. Sometimes you are not looking for him every morning. And so often when life is good, we take him for granted. But God has brought you into a land that flows with milk and honey so that not you can just survive, but that you can thrive. Listen to me. I believe God has brought us into a land that flows with milk and honey. The children of Israel to at this point had matured. They had grown up seeing God provide for them every morning. Do you realize that? They were born into this. Every morning, God brings us new, new manna on the ground every morning. That's what they grew up with. The, their parents had all died off by now, and this is what they grew up with. This was all they knew. So now they're maturing. Their, their trust had to shift. They needed to realize that God could use the land to sustain them. Again, God does have control of the land. I'll bring you back to Joseph. God gave a vision to Pharaoh, and Joseph interpreted the dream. The dream was this. You will have seven years of plenty, God controlling the land. And then you'll have seven years of famine. Listen, God controlled the land. Listen, I don't care what you think. God controls every part of you. You might think you're doing everything wonderfully. You might think you're making it all by yourself. But God controls everything. We have heard over and 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 over again. Trust God. Trust God. Trust God. And we often think that trust is a means of survival. And so we kind of just, okay, yeah, I'll trust God. But that's kind of for over here. That's kind of for over here when I need it. That's kind of for over here when the doctor calls and gives me bad news. That's kind of for over here when all of a sudden something happens with all my money and I just don't know where I'm going to get my next meal from. That, that trusting God, that's for, that's for over here when my kids aren't doing what they were raised to do. That trusting God thing, that's, that's not for me right now. That's for when I need it later. But again, we live in a land that flows with milk and honey. We live in a wonderful land, uh, uh, the, uh, in my opinion, the greatest nation on earth. And we have ne no need of anything for our daily survival. Go to my cupboards and you'll see we can survive weeks. We're full. So what is there to trust God about? What is there to trust God about? We get to trust God in ways most people never thought about. We get to trust God in ways most people have never even dreamed of. 
We have so many resources, so many great things, but instead of using those things for the glory of God, we have stagnated. And those resources have become a stumbling block in our relationship with Christ. Do you see what God can do? God has placed you with all the resources. Think about just one thing with me, the internet. You realize the gospel can reach the entire world with the internet. The entire world. There will be a few small remote tribes that have never heard of this thing called the internet. But for pretty much the entire world, we have access to that. Man, we should be thankful for that. But instead, what do we do with that? Instead of using that for the glory of God, you know what we do? We watch videos that mean nothing. And I'm putting myself in the same category. We play games that mean nothing. We do all these things that aren't inherently evil. But we don't have to trust God to survive. So what's there to trust God about? Listen, we need to trust God with our resources. We need to trust God with our cars. Multiple cars. And we need to trust God that he will use those things for the furtherance of his glory. For the furtherance of his gospel. For unto whomsoever much is given... Of him shall be much required. God has placed us in a place where we can thrive for him. Listen, we don't have to worry about where our next meal is going to come from necessarily. We don't have to fret about all of these things that, listen, maybe the Philippines or the Congo or all of these other places that are war ravaged and maybe poor and all kinds of different things that we just don't even understand. We don't have to necessarily trust God for those things. He has given us wonderful things. He has given us a land that flows with milk and honey. When we get to that land when we sit here in our pews, when we warm up our cars, and when we do all of these things and eat our warm food this afternoon, he has entrusted us with a great deal of responsibility. But what have we done with it? You know, there were three men in the Bible that were given talents. One was given five talents. What does that man do? He takes those talents and he invests them, makes five other talents. There's another man that takes three talents. God has given them to him, and he uses those things, and he invests them and makes three other talents. Hear me now. There was a man that had one talent. What did he do with it? He buried it. He hid it. If our gospel be hid, it is not hid to us. It is hid to them that are lost. God has given us something, a great deal of responsibility, and so often we're hiding it. We're pushing it aside and we're doing our own things and we don't trust God with that one talent or that five talents. Listen, that man that had one talent, you know the story. He was scolded by the Lord, by the master, and his talent was given to the man that had ten now. Listen, God wants you to use the things that he has entrusted you with. He wants to see you thrive. The children of Israel are now in a land that flows with milk and honey. They don't need the manna anymore. But man, do they still need God. They still need God to move forward. They still need God. Listen, if they don't need God anymore, they just stagnate. They just stay in Gilgal and never go further. They just stay in their salvation and we never move forward in our lives. We need to trust forward our trust shifts. I think we need to adjust our thinking 
and that we don't need to God to survive, that means that we don't need God. When in reality, if we're going to thrive the way that God wants us to thrive, we need him in everything. To live a life more abundantly, to do things exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. To do greater works than that Jesus Christ himself did. We need God. We need him to use our resources. But that would involve shifting our trust. That would involve changing just a little bit. But that also involves, number two, I want you to see, and that's surrendering trust. Surrendering trust. Look at verse 13 to 15 again. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. Said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. Joshua did so. This part of the story is incredible. Joshua has a face-to-face meeting with the captain of the Lord's host. The leader, if you will, of the Lord's army. But I want you to notice something. Notice the captain's answer to Joshua's question. Joshua says, are you for us or against us, basically? Are you for us or for our adversaries? Look at what the captain of the Lord's host says. He doesn't answer that he's on one side or the other. He just answers who he is. He says, nay, but as captain of the Lord, of the host of the Lord, am I now come? He doesn't say, yeah, I'm for you. Doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say, yeah, I'm, a, I'm against you. He doesn't say that either. He just announces who he is. And you know what? That was good enough for Joshua. Because here's the idea. Joshua was looking for God. Joshua was, wanted to be a part of God's army. Joshua wanted to be God's man. Joshua wanted to understand who God was. And so he wanted that. That's what he was striving for. Listen, if we are Christians, we are God's children, but we're following our flesh, do you realize this? That our flesh is at enmity with Christ. So it's not, oh, just because you're God's children, you're always on God's side. Be careful of that thinking. Because our flesh sometimes takes over. And he never says, he never once says, I am for you or against you. He just says, I'm the captain of the Lord's host. Story doesn't continue. Or story continues, excuse me. Joshua falls down on his face and worships. In this monumental moment, a place that would change Joshua's life forever, Joshua asks a question, which, by the way, a great idea. Great idea. He asks a question. He says this, what saith my Lord unto his servant? Great question. What do you have for me? Tell me something. Give me something good. Basically saying, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. But look at the captain's answer, verse 15. The captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Not exactly what I was looking for. 
Not exactly like a wound up, hey, we're going to conquer this land. Everything is going to be amazing. Joshua, you can do it. It was not a pep talk. Take off your shoe, for the place whereon you stand is holy. The great advice that the captain of the Lord's host has is take your shoes off. This has happened once before. It happened with Moses in the land of Midian on Mount Horeb. This place that Joshua is right now is not the same place. It's a completely different place. So it's not that that one place was the only holy place, only holy ground. This place as well. They're two different places. Why is this the one thing that the captain of the host says to Joshua? I have a theory. Please understand this is just a theory. I can't prove this. But I want to give you a few things. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. There is only one place that I can find that the Bible records a symbolic removal of a shoe. I want you to go with me to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Hope most of you understand the story of Ruth. Ruth marries a daughter, or excuse me, a, a son of Naomi. All Naomi's husband and two sons die. Ruth stays with her, and now they've come back to their land. Here it is in verse 4. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one. Turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me, what I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he, being the other man, says, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of, dead, of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself. That is key. Listen to that again. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. The idea here was for the closest of kin to redeem or to raise up seed for the deceased brother. If the closest of kin did not want to perform this duty, his shoe was plucked off. It was to be removed. I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 25 with me. Deuteronomy chapter 25. Look at verse 5. This is where the 
telling of this law was given. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 5, the Bible says this, If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no uh, child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of, this, of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, so shall it be done unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. But look at verse 10. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. The idea here is that everybody would know that he relinquished his right as the redeemer. He gave it up. He said, you will receive it. You take it. So he had his shoe taken off. It would be almost a humiliating, humbling experience. It would be something that you just, now, now I'm labeled as that. It would be his legacy. It would almost be a demeaning thing. But again, let's look at it this way. The person whose shoe was loose was relegating his power to the power of another. The kinsman was giving his power to redeem to Boaz. I want to submit to you that Joshua was relegating his power as the leader of the children of Israel and giving it to the captain of the host. Takes off his shoe and says, I can't but you can. I don't have the power to do so, but you do. And he takes off his shoe and surrenders his trust to God. He was giving. Listen, if you look, if you read any amount of this story, you see that God wanted to raise Joshua up to be a leader so that everybody would look at him and, and follow him as if they followed Moses. He wanted to trust him with leadership of his people. But you know what? He said, I want that trust back. You are still the leader. You are still the person that's in front. You are still the one. But listen, take your shoe off and give it to me for the place that you stand is holy. Listen to me. Some of you need to surrender your trust back to God. Some of you have been trying to do it all on your own. Some of us have been entrusted with leading a family. Some of us have been entrusted with leading a ministry. All of us have been entrusted with leading our own lives. And because we don't need God to survive necessarily, we think we don't need God. Can I challenge you to take the proverbial shoe off this morning and let God lead? Husbands, God has entrusted you 
with the raising of his children, with the loving of your wife. Would you take your shoe off this morning and say, you know what, I can't. It's pretty obvious. I've failed over and over and over and over again. And I've tried to manhandle this thing and I just can't do it. I've tried to force my will. I've tried to force everything that I want to do. I've used my wit. I've used everything that I can think of. Listen, I can't do it. God, I have to entrust you with that. Some of you have children that have gone astray, that have not lived the life that you had wished them to live. Listen and trust that to God. Give it back to God. Quit trying to beat yourself up. Quit trying to beat them up. Give it to God. Some of us have, I'm in the same boat. Every Sunday I have to get up here and I have to preach to you. And I realize I can't. If anything's going to happen in this place, it's going to be because of God. It has to be. So let's take the proverbial shoe off. Let's give back to God and see how that thing will advance. It will move faster, better, stronger when you give it to God than if you were to hang on to it yourself. Write this down. Very simply, let go and let God.